This episode of the Green Leads podcast is brought to you by California Prunes. I have to tell you that California prunes have become my go-to ingredient for adding natural sweetness to foods. They go so well in oatmeal, smoothies, and even savory dishes. They add a really nice, complex flavor to the sauce. I have a chocolate smoothie recipe on my website where the prunes really bring out the flavor of the chocolate. Prunes are good for gut health and bone health. They have vitamins and minerals like vitamin K, magnesium, and potassium that support overall health. So go ahead and add some California prunes to your grocery list and you will not be disappointed. Hi, and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo, and today I have a guest that I'm very excited about. Is a topic that I have wanted to learn so much more about for maybe I will tackle in the future. We're going to talk about triathlon and triathlon nutritions, and we have a registered dietitian who is an expert in this topic. Her name is Chrissy Carroll. And she is the owner of a website called Snacking in Sneakers, where she shares healthy recipes and training tips for runners and triathletes. She is an RRCA running coach and a USAT level one triathlon coach. And she's also the author of Eat to Peak, Sports Nutrition for Runners and Triathletes. And I'm so excited to welcome you. Hi, Chrissy. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So I'm, like I said, I've always wanted to know more about triathlons. I'm actually not a good swimmer at all. And that's what holds me back from ever saying, let me train for a triathlon. But I know there's a lot of my listeners who are runners and they want to transition to triathlons. So I kind of want to start with just like an intro to it. First off, how many triathlons have you done? Ooh, that's a good question. Probably at least 10. I don't know the number. I've done, I've done sprint and Olympic distance. Um, maybe eventually I'll tackle the longer distance races, but I really like sprint and Olympic. Can you tell me the difference between those? Cause that's also like, I'm a be- I'm a noob. I'm a beginner to this. What are the differences between these different types of triathlons? Sure. Yeah. So there's generally four different types. The first would be a sprint distance, which it can vary a little bit depending on who's organizing the race, but generally that's a quarter to a half a mile swim, a 10 to 15 mile bike ride with 12 miles being the most common, and then a 5k run. The second would be an Olympic distance triathlon. So that's going to be a 0.9 mile swim, 25 mile bike ride, and then a 10k run. And then you get up into the really long distance stuff. So a half iron would be a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike ride, then a half marathon at the end. And then a full Ironman would be your 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then a full marathon at the end. My gosh, that sounds a little crazy, but I totally see the appeal because it's just like such an amazing accomplishment. How did you get into triathlons? Yeah, kind of a funny story. I actually had broken up with my college boyfriend and kind of out of spite, I was like, I'll show him I'm going to do a triathlon. And so that was really the very uh, vanity induced (laughs) motivation for doing my first try. But after I did it, I realized just how amazing I felt, how fun it was to have the three different disciplines. And I know you said you're not a good swimmer, but I will tell you, I'm not great at any of the three disciplines. That's okay. (laughs) You can manage through any of them. So uh, I wouldn't let your fear of not being a good swimmer stop you from doing one. 
Yeah, I want to talk more about the swimming because I do think that's one of the things that holds people back because a lot of people have ridden a bike or gone on long bike rides or even been in a a cycling race. And a lot of people have run and been in a race, but I think the swimming is the part that is scary for some people. So we'll get into that more, but I want to kind of talk about just triathlons in general. And did you run first or did you jump right into triathlons? I had done some running, like 5K running, but I had never done any real distance running up until that point. So that was really my first forte into endurance sports was a sprint distance try. And then I kind of got into long distance running from there. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of the people who listen to this podcast or who I talk and connect with on social media are runners, but they want to know how the nutrition is different for a triathlon versus a long distance race. And it not doesn't necessarily have to be a marathon, but maybe something over a 10K. How would you kind of change up your nutrition routine for those two different sports? Yeah, I think a lot of the same principles apply, right? So the same types of things like eating a good pre-race breakfast and making sure that you're fueling if it's an event that's lasting longer than, you know, 75-ish minutes, Um, having a variety of fuel choices that work for your body, whether that's a sports drink or a gel or a whole foods. I think some of the differences that come into play would be for longer events. So if you get up into kind of half Ironman or Ironman fueling, there is really a greater potential for fueling mismatches there as far as the amount of energy that you're expanding and what you're taking in, how you're fueling yourself, greater potential for GI issues, given that it's a longer race. One of the other differences kind of in any of the events would be that there's a swim aspect. So when you're swimming, you're not going to be fueling yourself. Now in the shorter distance try races, that's okay because the swim is relatively quick and you get out and you can start fueling either in transition one or when you get on the bike. Um, And that's even if you need to fuel some of these races, you don't really need to worry too much about fueling. But definitely for the longer races, the swim uh, can be a little bit of a challenge for people. The other thing I think that tends to be a little bit different is if you are doing intense triathlon training. So if you are training for a a long event, or if you are a really competitive age grouper training for a sprint or Olympic distance event, a lot of times you're going to have two a day training sessions. So you might have a swim in the morning and a run at night. And so the recovery nutrition becomes a little bit more important after that first workout session of the day in particular to make sure that your body's ready for that next workout session of the day. But besides those aspects, a lot of the fueling concepts are really the same between running and triathlon. That's what I was going to ask about the training, because I, when you run, for instance, a marathon, the marathon, the actual day of the race is the end of the whole training cycle. So you've been going through your nutrition for a long period of time. And that's really where nutrition is the most important. Obviously, it's important on race day. But for a triathlon, do you ever train? Like you said, you do two a days, but do you ever kind of do the whole race as is in the training cycle? Yeah, it depends on the training plan. So some people will like to have like a a test race day built into their training plan where they'll do like a mock triathlon and they'll go and swim, bike, run. I would say not everybody does that, but it can be a part of the training plan. What does tend to be built into all triathlon training plans are what are called brick workouts, which is a bike to run workout. So that's where you might do a long bike ride. Maybe you go out for a 40 mile bike ride and then you do 
you know, a 45 minute run right off the bike. Uh, And that's for two purposes. One, that it allows you to be able to transition from bike to run and know what that feels like. Because if you've ever done it, you know, your legs just feel like straight up jelly when you get off of the bike and you start running. But two, also for that fueling aspect to see, okay, when I'm taking in fuel on the bike, and then I start the run, does this still work for me? Because there's a big difference for some people as to what they can take in when they're riding a bike and they're comfortable and they're stationary versus once they start running and they start jostling a little bit. So definitely there is time to practice that fueling with some of those brick workouts. Yeah. And let's talk about that a little bit. So when you're on the bike, you can eat something a little more substantial, right? Do people actually do that or do they kind of stick to gels and gummies and things like that? I think like anything else in sports nutrition, it really does depend on the athlete and it depends on the length of the race. But yeah, I would say for the longer distance races, you're going to have some athletes that maybe are eating bars or, uh, you know, little peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or salted potatoes or things along those lines while they're on the bike. And then maybe when they get to the run, they switch to sports drink or gels or things that are a little bit more easily digested for them. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. So it's very similar to running and it's just combining a bunch of things together and making sure that you have fuel throughout the whole race. But you said the swim, which is usually first, right? Am I right? Yeah. The swim is almost always first. Uh, I have not, I've yet to see a race where the swim is last. And the reason for that is safety issues. So you don't want somebody that's really tired finishing the race with a swim and that it just presents more safety issues for the race director. Okay. So the swim, you have to go into it fueled because you can't fuel while swimming. So how do you, how do you do that? And how do you practice that in your uh, training swims? Yeah. So I think that you would approach this similar to how you would fuel, you know, a run, you would make sure that before a swim, you're eating a meal that has easily digestible carbohydrates, Your swim training for any of these races is generally not going to be super excessively long. So it's not like you're going to be out, you know, in an open water swim for hours and hours, even in an Ironman 2.4 mile swim, you know, an age grouper is probably doing that in an hour and 15 minutes to two hours. So it's not a huge excessive amount of time, but certainly fueling with something with carbohydrates that's easy to digest, minimizing fat and fiber. If you're eating close to your training session or close to your race, those are all good strategies to keep in mind. And I know I spoke with the swimmer last season of the podcast. I know one of the big things for swimmers is that they tend to neglect hydration because they're in water. They don't really think about it. So I'm assuming there's kind of hydrating before and then after, right? Exactly. And some triathletes might do things like I've heard of uh, hyperhydrating, you know, with chicken broth the night before a race or something like that. That's more anecdotal, but definitely keeping in mind hydration leading up to the race, the morning of the race. And then after you get out of the swim and you get onto your bike, the first thing that you want to do once you, you know, you get your uh, pedal stroke down there is you want to make sure that you do take in whether it's an electrolyte drink or a sports drink or water, depending on your personal plan and the race distance, you want to make sure that you start hydrating. So it sounds like there's, there's obviously kind of three strategies of fueling because there's three different sports you're engaging in, but they're all kind of similar. How does someone know during their training cycle, if they're actually fueling enough? That's a great question. I think when we think about fueling, a lot of athletes just think about the training and the race itself, 
Whereas I would prefer people think about their everyday diet and supporting their overall training load first. So I would say from that perspective, we think about, you know, how are you feeling during your training? Are you feeling tired? Do you feel like you have dead legs when you're going out for a run? Are you seeing your heart rate spike a lot higher during your workouts, despite the intensity not getting higher? Those are all signs that maybe somebody is not getting enough from an everyday basis with their diet. Similarly, are they hungry all the time? I think athletes get in their head a lot about, you know, controlling food. And I'd rather see people really fueling their bodies properly to optimize performance. So if you're hungry all the time, that's probably a sign that you need to be eating more. I think if you're a female from an everyday diet perspective, are you getting your period regularly? If you normally get your period regularly, and if that's not happening, if you start skipping periods, then that's a sign that you may be under fueling yourself. As far as during a training session or during an, you know, an event itself, knowing that you're fueling enough, I would make sure that you're paying attention to whatever plan you've developed during training. For many athletes, that's going to look like 30 to 60 grams of carbs an hour, you know, for events that are lasting over 75 minutes. Once you get up to events that are lasting over around three hours, you're going to probably be looking more like 60 to 90 grams of carbs per hour. So you can kind of play around with what you're taking in, you know, adding up your fuel sources, don't forget about the sports drink and, you know, any liquids that you're taking that contain carbs or calories, and then seeing how that plays out over the training session. Are you around that range? Do you feel good during your training session? Are you able to last at the correct intensity during the entire training session? Or are you faltering out at the end? Those would all be things to consider. It's interesting because I think people think that if they are not able to complete a run or a swim or a cycle that they're out of shape, but they don't necessarily think that it's nutrition, which is one of the things that I feel like I'm saying over and over again is look towards your nutrition. That's probably one of the aspects of why you're so tired and can't get through your workout. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think some of these athletes that have been training and doing, you know, massive amounts of work, and they've been improving and improving and doing all of this stuff, and then they have one bad workout, and they assume, oh, no, like, it's the end of the world. Well, no, you know, what, what did you eat for dinner last night? What did you have for breakfast this morning? There's so many things that can go into it. Is it hot outside? Are you dehydrated? There's a lot of a lot of things to consider. Yeah. And I remember the first time I ran a marathon, which was six or seven years ago, I was one of those people. I was hungry all the time and I was a dietitian, so I should know better, but you really have to focus on recovery nutrition and your nutrition throughout the day. Whereas I think when you get to, I would say people who are signing up for a triathlon are kind of serious athletes or, or, you know, seriously thinking about sport. So they kind of know maybe I should have 30 grams of carbs every X amount of time during the race, but then they don't think about their nutrition outside of the sport, which really can add up to you not feeling great throughout the day. Definitely. I completely agree. Now, what do you think about meal prepping? I know it's, it's obviously, I think a lot of dietitians think it's great. It's beneficial, but it's also time consuming. Do you recommend it to people? What do you think about meal prepping for triathletes? Like so many other things in sports nutrition, I feel like I'm just a broken record here. It depends, right? So if it depends on the athlete's preferences, I, as an athlete, I personally enjoy cooking. I don't mind doing it each night, 
So I'm going to cook each night and that's fine. If you're an athlete that tends to be really busy during the week and you like having maybe a little bit more structure to your meals and you like prepping on one day on the weekend, then by all means go for it. I think that, you know, meal prepping sometimes gets maybe a little bit repetitive where people don't like having the same foods over and over and that gets frustrating. There are some ways around that. So maybe you're just meal planning and not necessarily prepping. So you're outlining the meals you're going to have and making sure that you're shopping based on that list so that you know you have everything you need, but then you're doing the actual prepping each night. That's one option. Another option could be just prepping maybe breakfast and snacks and you're doing the dinner cooking each day. Or maybe you think about ways to utilize a similar ingredient in multiple meals that you prep so that you're not eating the same meal every single day for dinner. So for example, if you grab a bunch of cans of chickpeas and lettuces on sale, then maybe one of your meals is a buffalo chickpea salad and another is some kind of chickpea quesadilla and another is a Greek inspired pita that has chickpeas and lettuce and tomatoes and herbs. So kind of working your way through some different meal ideas, utilizing one of the same protein options can make things a little simpler and save some time, but also give you that variety. That all sounds really good. And you just came up with that on the fly. I want those for dinner now. <laughs> um, the people who listen to this are generally plant-based because I focus on plant-based nutrition for athletes. So I think one of the things that we have to think about a little bit more is in the recovery nutrition how to incorporate nutrients that keep us full, which is, I tend to emphasize protein, I think more than people who eat meat think about protein. And I think that's where meal prepping helps a little bit because it does make sure you get enough protein so that you kind of stay full. Um, so I think that that is something that helps with meal prepping if you can do it. But like you said, some people like to cook every night and eat different things. Yeah, I think it's all about what what the athlete prefers and then kind of making a plan based on personal preferences. For sure. And what about supplements? Do you recommend any sort of supplements to triathletes that you think they should definitely use? Or I'm, I know I know your answer is probably going to be, it depends on the athlete, but what are your thoughts on supplements? Yeah, so you're definitely right. It depends on the athlete. But I would say there's a couple supplements that I do tend to recommend probably more often. So one would be potentially a protein powder. I think particularly if an athlete is doing two a day training sessions and maybe struggles with feeling hungry after that first session, then a plant-based protein powder could be really convenient to mix into a smoothie with fruit and juice and, you know, vegetables, whatever you want to throw in there. So that could be a good one to include if it if it helps you to meet those recovery needs, if it helps with your lifestyle. Vitamin D is another one. I think there's a lot of athletes that are deficient. I always recommend everybody, athlete or not, get tested for vitamin D levels to see if you do have a deficiency, particularly, you know, I'm up here in Massachusetts, up in the Northeast in the winter time when we're not spending as much time outside, it can be challenging to meet some of those vitamin D needs from the sunlight. And then there, as you know, limited sources of vitamin D that we're getting in the diet. So I would say, you know, a vitamin D supplement is one that could be pretty beneficial for a lot of athletes if you have a vitamin D deficiency. And then as far as kind of performance related supplements, I think 
we all know caffeine is a performance enhancer. So if you're somebody where caffeine does not cause GI upset, then, you know, try one or two cups of coffee before a long training session to see how it feels. If it feels good, if you feel like you're getting a better workout in, then I would use that on race day as well. I don't typically recommend powdered caffeine because there's a very big risk of mismeasurement there. And that can be a very severe problem. So I just, like when athletes stick to coffee or if maybe there is a, a pre-workout with caffeine that they like, but I would avoid just straight up powdered caffeine. And then the other supplement that I think from a performance standpoint could be beet juice. Uh, beet juice is rich in dietary nitrates and those are um, converted to nitrate in the body. And then that can be converted to nitric acid, which helps dilate the blood vessels, keeps oxygen flowing to your muscles. So there are these concentrated beet juice shots that are available, basically just kind of concentrates down regular beet juice. So that's something to potentially try again before a long workout. Always try it during training. Don't just try it on race day. But if it works before your long workouts, then maybe going ahead and using that on race day. One fun fact about beet juice supplements, though, is that the bacteria in your mouth are actually involved in part of that process of converting those nitrates to nitrites to nitric acid. So that process, if you use mouthwash before you drink the beet juice, it actually reduces that process. So don't use mouthwash before you drink your beet juice before your race. I had no idea. I'd never heard that before. I'm assuming they did research to find that out. Yeah, there's some studies out there on this. Oh, wow. That's, that's actually really cool. I did beet juice before... God, that, this is like a bunch of years ago too. It's, it doesn't taste good. I will warn people that unless you love beets, which I don't, uh, it doesn't taste great, but that's why they put it in these shots. So you can kind of just suck it back. And it does. There's a lot of research to show that it's helpful. Yeah. I love beet juice. I like the taste of it. I love beets. My husband always says it tastes like dirt. So that's the, the kind of comparison there. I think that if you get those shots though, they're pretty easy to get down quickly. Yeah, I'm with your husband on that. And I actually was just messaging with someone who was asking for advice for they were running a marathon this upcoming weekend about their pre-race fueling strategy. So I kind of went into what do you what did you do during your training, kind of trying to have it mimic that. And I was asking them if they use caffeine and they said, I generally do drink caffeine, but I don't drink it before a run. Uh, should I do it on race day? And I said, no, if you, if you didn't train that way, don't do that on race day. But I encourage you after this race to try it before, because there's a ton of research to show that caffeine is a performance enhancer. So people who normally drink coffee, you don't have to stay away from that before you go out and do a race, because if, if it doesn't upset your stomach, which that's a whole nother can of worms. But yeah, it's something that you can definitely incorporate, but try it in your training. Exactly. I completely agree. Um, and then the only other like supplement recommendations I would say would be something related to a potential medical condition. So if you are diagnosed with an iron deficiency, then certainly you would be talking to your doctor about iron supplements. But I think those, the ones that I named the protein powder, vitamin D, caffeine, and beet juice, those are usually the, the kind of four that I stick to. Okay. That's great to know. And what about gut issues? I, I, I was going to ask about race day, but now I'm thinking about it. Hopefully that doesn't happen to you on race day because hopefully you train with your nutrition ahead of time. So if you're you're trying things out in your training with nutrition and you experience gut issues, do you have any suggestions for people to how to resolve them?
If you want to get the latest cutting-edge information in the field of sports medicine, check out my new show, The Sports Physical Therapy Podcast. I'm Mike Reinold. Each week I feature a new interview with some of the leading and emerging experts in our field so they can share their recent research, clinical experience, and best career advice. Check it out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, so I think that it's, like you said, really important to do this during training. So just like we train our muscles to be able to handle endurance sports, we need to train our stomach to be able to handle processing food during a race and making or processing food during both training and racing uh, and making sure that we are able to tolerate things. So if you do run into some gut issues, there's some things you can troubleshoot you know, are there certain ingredients in a particular type of food that you notice bother you? So there's a lot of ingredients these days on the market. Maybe there's a potential non-nutritive sweetener that bothers your stomach a little bit. And you didn't realize it was in this new gel or drink or whatever it is that you chose. Is it something that has caffeine in it? And maybe you are sensitive to the effects of caffeine. So maybe switching from a caffeinated gel to a regular gel would help with those gut issues. I would think about what's going to be served on the course, particularly for long course races. So your half Ironman, your Ironman, because if it's something that is going to be served on the course, you want to make sure that you are testing that during training to see if it sits well with you. I think intensity is one thing that tends to be an issue on race day a lot. So one of the things I recommend with athletes is even if you're not doing a really long intense workout, which you probably wouldn't be the intensity for long workouts tends to be a little bit less, but maybe you have a really intense, you know, hour bike ride coming up take whatever fuel you're thinking about using midway of that intense session and see how it sits with you. Because a lot of times on race day, you're pushing yourself harder than you have during training. So knowing that something sits well with you at that higher intensity level can just be good for, for your mind and for anxiety and knowing, okay, you know, I'm out here, this is working. I would also test things on the bike versus the run. So like we already talked about, some people tolerate different foods on the bike compared to the run, you know, the run, you have more jostling and movement going on. And so sometimes liquids like a sports drink or something like a gel or a shot block is a little bit better tolerated for people. The other thing I would say is to think about um, anxiety. So a lot of times with triathlon, because you can't listen to music when you are racing. And if you're out there for a long race, you know, that's a long time that you're in your head. And sometimes just that anxiety of, oh no, I, you know, my stomach hurt in the past. Is it going to happen again? Oh no, I start to feel gurgling. What's going on? That anxiety can actually bring up some gut issues. So if somebody's struggling with anxiety related gut issues, a lot of times I tell them to, you know, focus on a mantra while you're running. So like, you've got this, you're doing great or slow breaths, fast steps, something along those lines to just quiet their mind and focus on, you know, the activity and getting there and not thinking or worrying about so much. That's a really good point. And as someone who's never done this before, I didn't even know that. So is that because you can't, because you have to come from the water, you don't have your stuff with you to listen to music? Is that why? It's just part of the race rules. It's it's dangerous to listen to music while you're on a bike. And so they don't want people doing that. You're not going to have it during the swim. And so they just cut it out of the race completely. So you can't have it during any aspect of the race. 
That's true. Now I'm thinking about it. Like I would never listen to my music while I'm bike riding, but that I've never even thought about that. That's Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I think I would be going crazy in my head. So that's such a good point. Yeah. You can imagine, especially during some, you know, you're doing a half Ironman and you get past the swim and you get past the 56 mile bike ride. And then you're starting a half marathon and you're just in your head the whole time that, yeah, sometimes that anxiety can be a big issue. I would assume you also want to train with that, right? Without your headphones in. Yeah, I think it's personal preference. I'll be honest with you. I generally train my runs with music unless I'm on like a quiet trail and I'll, I'll turn it off for that. But some people do, they'll train throughout with music and just know that they're going to suck it up for race day. Some people like the experience of, okay, I need to train without so I know what this is like. So I think personal preference. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. I like that. I like those little tidbits. And I also, another logistical question, how do you carry all this fuel with you? I guess on the, like you said, they have it on the course on race day, but when you're training, how do you, if you do, what did you call it before the brick workout? Yeah. Brick workout. So you can carry stuff. Some people have like a little bento box on their bike or they'll wear a cycling Jersey where you can put some fuel in the back of the Jersey there. Some people will do their bricks so that they finish their bike ride and then maybe they're transitioning to the run right in front of their house. And so they can have some fuel there that they can take out. You might have a fuel belt or a hydration vest, something along those lines. Um, but yeah, you would figure out ways to carry what you need in those ways. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So just gear, different types of gear. Exactly. And then what do you think about, I mean, we, we touched on this before, but recovery, what's the best way for people to recover so that they're not feeling so drained that they're not so hungry? Yeah, so I think having some carbohydrates and protein after a workout is the best strategy in my mind for recovery. I think it's particularly important when you are doing two a day workouts that you get that in after the first day particularly important if you're doing any back-to-back -back races. So I know some athletes that will do back-to-back -back Saturday, Sunday races, and you're going to really want to make sure that you get those recovery foods after those Saturday races. So the longer the races, the quicker your next race is, and the more workouts that you're doing, the more important that recovery is. Ideally, those carbs and protein you'd want to have, you know, within 30 to 60 minutes of finishing that workout. And, you know, thinking from a plant-based athlete perspective, that could look like a smoothie with fruit and juice and a plant-based protein powder, or maybe a rice bowl with some veggies and tofu or a peanut butter and banana sandwich with a glass of soy milk. You know, it doesn't have to be some fancy recovery meal. It can be whole foods that you've got at home, or if you find it easier, it can certainly be, you know, prepared recovery shakes or something along those lines, but you definitely want to make sure you have carbs and protein. One thing that endurance athletes should keep in mind is that a lot of the, you know, recovery shakes that are on the market are more targeted towards maybe strength athletes. And so those tend to be a little lower on the carbohydrate side sometimes. So I would just double check what's in the drink. Um, look at the ratio of carbs to protein. Ideally, you're looking for around a three to one ratio of carbs to protein. You don't need to get overly worried about it or, you know, calculating everything online, but just look at it. Does it look like it has a good amount of carbs and, you know, 20 ish or more grams of protein? Okay. If it does, that's great. Awesome. And then I, I crowdsourced for this interview and I, 
asked some people for questions and a question I kept getting over and over again, and it's not nutrition, is about training for the swim because I think that's what most people are scared of. How do you train? I, I know most people train in a pool, but then the swim a lot of times is open water. How do you rectify that? Do you ever train in open water? Yeah. So ideally in a triathlon training program, you want to do both training in a pool as well as open water swimming. I will tell you when I was training for my first race, I just trained in my little apartment pool, swimming circles. I didn't do any open water training, not really the best plan for doing things, but Hey, it got me to the starting line of that first race. I think in, in a good structured training session, you use both though. The pool really gives you an opportunity to do structured practice. You're able to do good warmups. You're able to do interval training in there. You're able to do drills, things like using a fingertip drag drill where you're making sure you have a nice high elbow, practicing your freestyle stroke while using a pull buoy. There's a lot of different things you can really work on in the pool. And I would say swimming form is one of the best things that you can improve that will help you within the race as far as the swim component of the race. That said, it is really important to do open water swimming as well. There's been a lot of athletes I've worked with who, you know, they only wanted to train in a pool. And as much as I could push them to do open water during their training cycle, they didn't get out there. And then they got to race day and they really freaked out in the water. There's a lot of people around, people are kicking, it's hectic when it starts. And this depends on the race because some races use what's called a mass start. So everybody starts kind of at once or individual age groups start at once. Some races do use a time start where they kind of do like two athletes at a time every few seconds. Those you don't worry as much about having so much flailing around you but it does get a little overwhelming. Now, certainly when you're doing your training, you're not going to have a bunch of your friends come out and kick you while you're doing your open water swim, but it does give you that opportunity to be out there where you can't see the bottom, where, you know, you're not like in this structured setting. I would say as far as open water swim safety, a couple tips that I would recommend is to go with a friend. Okay. It's, it's always nice. If you have somebody with you, I generally don't recommend open water swimming alone, unless it is a place where there are a lot of other swimmers that are always there up here in Massachusetts. I'm near Walden pond. There are always any time of day, open water swimmers out there. Um, I would swim with a little buoy that can attach to you. It, it's inflatable um, and it's brightly colored. And that way, if something was to happen, one, you can kind of hold on to it and float for a little bit, but two, somebody knows where you are in the water if something were to happen. Um, the other thing you can do is if you do need to swim by yourself or you're not super comfortable with open water swimming yet, you swim the shoreline. So you're always where you can stand. I think that that takes away some of the scariness of starting that open water swimming. And I would also add that if you're going to do this and you are new to triathlons, seek out an expert, seek out a coach, someone like Chrissy. So where can people learn more about this? I'm sure you have triathlon uh, information on your website and your social media. Where can they follow you and find you? Yeah, of course. So you can find me over on my website, snackingandsneakers.com. I do have a lot of free training plans there from sprint distance triathlon to Ironman distance. You can find free training plans there that you can check out. And then I am on social media. You can find me at Chrissy, the RD, and I'm always happy to connect and answer any questions. 
thanks so much. This was really, really interesting. And um, yeah, maybe I'll do a triathlon in a few years. <laughs> then I'll credit you for it. <laughs> Go for it. It'll it's it's such a rewarding experience. And trust me, like a quarter mile or a half mile swim, you can get through it. You know, a little bit of training for the swim portion, getting used to open water, you can get through it, no problem. Okay. I'm going to keep that in the back of my head. Thanks again. This was awesome. Thank you.